This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. For ten years, the secret of Paragord Cemetery has remained a mystery. Now, three innocent people are about to discover the ultimate evil. We've got to warn people! This summer, the ball is back. Phantasm 2. It's only a dream. No, it's not. Rated R. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's sequel to Deja Vu, where we celebrate every sequel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, we have one of the granddaddies of the mall for you this evening. We're going to be covering the 1988, directed by Don Coscarelli, Phantasm II. And joining me this evening is a very special guest, is someone I consider podcasting royalty, uh, one of the main reasons why that I got into doing podcasting again after a several-year several hiatus, the one and the only Ricky Morgan. How are we doing this evening? Wow, that's man, that's a that's a tall order. Are you sure you're you're bl- you sure there wasn't another podcaster that was an influence? Because that don't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is you, sir. I'm not not mistaken. To be uh, honest, there was two people that got me into the the podcast, and I. I did it for a while on uh, Blog Talk Radio some years ago, you know, uh, and I got out of it. I was focusing mainly on filmmaking, and uh, I had uh, some some heart issues. I had a couple of heart attacks and some heart surgeries here in the last couple of years. So I had to slow down quite a bit, and I started listening to a lot more podcasts. And I know I never, I've never even told you this off the air, but you and of two people, this you and Gary Hill, that got me into wanting to do podcasting again when i started listening to hail ming power hour and <laughs> and short bus <laughs> cinema my favorite short bus cinema love it if you ever get back into doing this full time please do another short bus cinema love it absolutely <laughs> love it but. well I've, I've actually have handed that one off to johnny and uh but that's that's totally his call uh you never know i mean never say never right but right uh, right 
Much like and the movies that we do, that they never die, right? Right, right. I mean, there there is talk of of Hell Ming coming back with a vengeance. So we're we're currently in the talks of all that right now. So, uh, yeah, uh, I I remember when you were kind of down and out with with the health issues and stuff. And uh, yeah, man, it's awesome to see you jumping back in here and and getting things done. And shoot, this is gonna be a blast, man. Yeah, uh, when we started talking about uh, having you coming on the show, and we were talking uh, back and forth about a couple different movies, and I think we were talking uh, Back to the Future, wasn't it, or yeah, something I, I like think that? So. Yeah. No, or was that with somebody else? I might have been talking to. We were talking a couple different movies, and as soon as you mentioned Phantasm, I'm like, oh shit, that's just a given. I'm like, which one? Doesn't matter. Phantasm two, <laughs> three, four, five, doesn't matter. Uh, I. I can actually boast a little bit. I don't like to brag, but I do like to boast. Uh, <laughs> I worked on one film, the first film I ever worked on, uh, came from Trafalgar. I got to work with uh, Reggie Bannister for about a three day stint. And cool. I basically was uh, Reggie's bitch for three days. You know, I drove him back and forth <laughs> to the hotel, uh, took him out to lunch and dinner, you know, it was just so oh, such a, such a hardship to have to endure, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. Got to drink a lot of uh, Johnny Walker Black Label with him, and uh, trading a lot of stories and a lot of philosophical type stuff. That was a quite a quite a just yeah yeah. I, I can't even describe it. It was just you know it was like being on cloud nine for a couple of days. <laughs> but this oh, one, yeah. Phantasm Two, nine years in the making. You know, the yeah. first one came out in 1979. Second one did not come out until uh, 1988. I saw this summer of '88. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you saw it when it first came out, huh? Well, I saw it. It was it was the VHS boom, right? So my story with this, and and you were kind of hinting on your history with it as well, which I hope you elaborate some more on too, because it was pretty interesting. But obviously, I saw the original at a younger age, but it was one of this. This is before the age of video, so you saw it once, and <laughs> right? When this one came out, it's universal. The VHS boom is happening. They're making sequels to everything. Like you said, almost 10 years in the making for this movie to come out. And it was front and center. It was promoted everywhere. And I dare say, I've seen Phantasm 2 probably more times than I have any of the other ones. Because it was just right there at that point where everything cool was coming out at that point. So this just really you know, hit all those buttons back in the day. So yeah, I, I do. I have a love for this movie. Uh, it is definite a definitely a staple of the time that it came out. Oh uh, yeah, the VHS boom. And this is also, uh, I mean, I remember renting it on VHS, but I remember my mother who got me into, got me, you know, into horror. She had a love for horror as well. And we had a place called the YMW Drive-In that has not been around for about 25 years now. It's gone the way of the dodo bird. It's extinct. But, yeah. the, you know, but this is a period when they had three screens and they would play a triple bill of horror movies on one of them. And we saw a lot of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Evil Dead 2, and Phantasm 2 across those couple of summers when we went there all the time. And I probably saw this six, seven, eight times just at the drive-in alone. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have a long history with the Phantasm movies, you know. I, the Phantasm 2 for the longest time was my favorite. We'll get into it later, which one is my favorite. We'll talk a little bit about a couple of the other sequels. Or my, primarily, I want to focus on part two. But, you know, we can, we can talk about the other ones a little bit, of course, because, you know, that's why we're here, talk about Phantasm. Right. But uh, my first tattoo 
was uh, the Phantasm Sphere, you know, and uh, getting to work with uh, Reggie Bannister on a film. My first film that came from Trafalgar uh, was in uh, 2006, you know, so it was a long time ago. It was before it was in that long gestation gestation period between Phantasm Four and Phantasm Ravager. And right. I got to work with him for a couple of days, and I was uh, quickly nicknamed uh, Reggie's Bitch, which I had no problem being called that on set. <laughs> but I, w- I was the gopher. You know, I had to go and get everybody food. I had to make sure everybody got back and forth to the hotels and got back and forth to set. So I got to hang out with Reggie for a few days. But I'll touch a little bit bit more on that. I don't want to s- spend my load all at the same time. As Much like Reggie, I'm getting my balls fly in the air here right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> But yeah, that was quite uh, quite a dream come true. But uh, yeah. let's go ahead and for those of you who don't know now, those of you who are, are listening to this show, uh, if you don't know Phantasm Two, I don't know what you're doing here. And quite frankly, we don't need you. <laughs> but if you happen, there's to the door, us, sir. Yeah, <laughs> the funeral is about to begin. Yours. But uh, if. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, we're going to give you the quick IMDb synopsis just because. But really, folks, you know, if you're here, then you already know this one, but we'll give it to you anyway, which the IMDb synopsis is as follows. Mike, now released from a psychiatric hospital, meets with Reggie and discovers his dreams. The events of the original film are quite real, and they both journey to find and stop the evil tall man from his grim work. And that's pretty fair. That's pretty fair is what it yeah. is. But it's just, uh, to some phantasm up in such a in such a way is almost it's almost like you need a book. You need a whole chapter devoted to to it because I've often said each phantasm film, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one, but it seems to me almost each phantasm film ends up presenting more questions than it answers. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's just like it's a. I always <laughs> I always do this comparison, right? It's almost like the seven degrees of bacon or whatever you want to call it. But I say everything always, every road leads back to phantasm. And that's definitely one of those cases, right? It's almost like X-Files. And I say, well, X-Files ripped off phantasm because the whole idea of, well, we'll answer these questions, but then you're going to have 15 more questions afterwards. And really, that's what phantasm is. It To me, and I'm going to probably piss some people off here, but phantasm is the thinking man's movie or series oh definitely because you know you you have to kind of put some things together and the brilliance of it is not being able to determine what's really happening and what's not is you know you're not supposed to know and and it's just so well done anyways i'm getting i'm getting too far into it but yeah man you're always going to go away going well you can't stop it there <laughs> right right well, yeah each, each ending just makes you yeah, it's like, why are you going to stop there? Can't take it just one step further? You know, and uh, I don't want to jump ahead to the ending. But, you know, the ending of this movie, until Phantasm Three came out, pissed me off. And I think you'll, you'll <laughs> probably know why. We won't get into it right now. We'll try to cover it this, this as much a, in a linear fashion as we can. You know, if we jump ahead and, and get a little off track and jump here back and forth, that's fine. But I don't want to ruin the ending quite yet. But... Yeah, yeah, the original ending to this, I remember being 12 year old, years old, turning to my mother and literally probably saying something to the tune of, what the fuck? Like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At 12 years old, I don't think you're meant to understand it. I think it's only something oh, that yeah. you, you'd see it as like, oh, this was cool. And then as you get older, 
Phantasm movies are something that I have learned to appreciate more and more as I've gotten older. Absolutely. But this movie does pick off where the pick up where the first one uh, left off, where you know the tall man and his minions, you know the dwarves are attempting to take Mike away, and I think you know. It's it's been probably about a year since I had watched this, but every time I do watch it, I am amazed at how well they make that footage from Phantasm yeah. Two and Phantasm One look like it's legitly, you know, the same, the same location and place. Yeah, they they really make it work well, and that 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 is a shock because you're talking a way bigger budget, way better equipment, but they still somehow tack that all together and, and it works and the other thing I, I love about this too is you don't really necessarily have to see the first movie to enjoy the second one it pretty much gives you everything you need to know and then some yeah, yeah it, it's um I, I kin this a little bit to like Evil Dead 2 you know it helps Ooh, to do that yeah, you know, it, it helps to see the first movie, but you don't necessarily need to. You could start off with Phantasm 2 and get everything you need to know. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I'm I'm going to go ahead and say this. Uh, I thought about saving it for later, but I'll look at this movie as here, here's what I think what happened. I think Don Coscarelli spread his wings after the first movie, did your Beastmaster. He shot the video for Ronnie James Dio. So he's really, you know, getting into these other things. He gets the chance for this one. He really didn't know what to do. But I think, now this is me, I don't know for sure, but you go back and you watch Phantasm 2, and there are scenes in here that I'm going, he has totally watched the first two Evil Dead movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're not alone there are in scenes that in here, I'm like, man, that's a straight-up Sam Raimi shot right there because they're starting to get more mobile with the camera and stuff that he didn't do in the original. But then also, I look at Phantasm 2 as almost... Evil Dead 2. It's almost a retelling of the first story. Yeah, it's a retelling of the first story, but, you know, it's just the characters are all a little bit older, and now Mike has a, you know, now has yep. a love interest. <clears throat> yeah. And, and well, would, you know, would you call, you know, uh, I don't like to call him fake Mike, but I will refer to him as <laughs> fake Mike here. You know, James <laughs> LaGrosse did a great job, you know. Sure. Uh, you yep. know, let, let's face it, he didn't do a bad job. But it is weird watching this one within the continuity of things of the five films and be like, that's just not Mike. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard pill to swallow. Well, it is, but. Again, I guess you got to think about the, you know, looking at it at in the retrospect of everything together, it's a little hard. But when it came out, you're 10 years removed. So, you know, I guess for the Phantasm fan, only your diehard fans are going to recognize it was somebody different. But, uh, you know, <laughs> That's us. The, the story. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, in retrospect, us looking back at it now, it's kind of hard because it's the only one in, in the whole sequence that has this different guy. But I think Universal was, well, they even tried to replace Reggie in this one, too. You know, so I not know, only Mike, yeah. they tried to replace Reggie. So, you know, uh, that's those drawbacks of getting the, the big companies to produce your movie. And then they start calling your shots for you. And, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, swallow what's given to you in order to get it to done, get it done. But, yeah, I, I, I really don't have a problem with him. Uh, obviously, I prefer Michael. but. You know, uh, it didn't it didn't slow it down none. No, no, you know, and and considering you know, with all the the theories between 
behind all the different phantasms, you know, going all the way to Ravager with the different dimensions and timelines and whatnot. I just consider it alternative timeline, Mike. That's just where I leave right. it at. Sure. That's, right. That's how I try to justify it in my mind nowadays. <laughs> Maybe we can just go back and like CGI Mike's face on there, you know, <laughs> and just put his face on, <laughs> on throughout the movie, and then we'll be fine. <laughs> well, with the with the power behind all those, uh, you know, they got that the, that deep fake technology. They could just superimpose right. a Michael Baldwin's face yeah. on there. <laughs> and we just say, "Wow, Michael really buffed up for this movie." <laughs> <laughs> it's all that good food they were feeding him in the institution, right? <laughs> Uh, but I do like the fact, you know, that it, you know, after their brief little intro where it picks up with the, you know, the the tall man taking Mike as he did at the end of the, you know, picking right up after the end of the first one and continuing that night with Reg fighting off the different dwarves. And I love the fact that actually in this movie you get to see the dwarves, you know, you get to see yeah. their faces. They're not just little uh, Jawa type men, you know, hidden in their right. hoods. And they're gruesome looking. I, lo I yeah. love the effects work and everything. They look really, really good. But it kind of, you know, again, another little bit of uh, Evil Dead kind of twist in, in, uh, of uh, flavor there. Reg is your everyday man kind of person. He is much like so, an Ash, you know, he's, he's got a quip. He's got a one-liner. He's funny. He's always horny, and he doesn't always do the right thing at the right time. But right. It's, it's, it's just like when he grabs, you know, when he's trying to find a weapon, he can't find, he's looking everywhere for rounds <laughs> for the shotgun, he can't find one. So he turns the gas on the stove, and he gets the, and he chooses, has to choose between a tennis racket and a baseball bat. <laughs> I mean, literally stands there and, and holds the two and goes, uh. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, really, do you have to make that choice? Like, but, you know. It's it's great shit. I love Reg. Yeah, I love the Reg and character and I love Reggie Bannister himself. Great, great guy. And that again is what I'm talking about. The time frame of when this came out, because from about eighty five, eighty four to the to ninety, the horror movies started having this very fun element in it. It became the roller coaster ride that everybody wants, where we're going to show you some crazy, scary stuff, but. We're going to entertain you, too. It's going to be fun. You're going to crack some jokes here and there. And I just love that. Yeah, I love that humor. You know, it started off with a lot of things like, you know, Reanimator kind of helped facilitate that. Yes. I think, you know, Evil Dead 2, Night of the Creeps, you know, where you yep. got your horror elements, but then you got to laugh. You got yep. some serious elements, and then you got your ridiculous elements. Right. And this movie is chock full of all that. And... I, I think uh, one of the biggest feats of this movie is the is that opening uh, house explosion because you know Reggie Reggie you know sets the puts out the pilot lights and all the, the pilot lights on the stove turns them up so that, you know the fireplace is burning so they're cutting back and forth and of course you know they make that alley oop leap from with him and Mike yeah. from the window <laughs> and they <laughs> blow it up and like I remember reading you know uh, many years ago in Fangoria of course that they got all this in one take. And yeah. we only had one yeah. chance to get it. And, you know, Angus doing that, you know, badass walking away from the, yeah. the explosion is like, I think this might have been the first movie, at least in my memory, to really do that. You know, where you got your character walking away from the explosion. That's a wall of fire and that badass pose. So kudos yeah. to Angus. Like I said, man, all roads lead back to Phantasm. It was always done first in Phantasm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Damn Skippy. Oh, uh, but then we jump up, you know, to Liz, Mike's uh, love interest in this movie. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, it's, it's supposed to be six years later, with his actuality, it's about almost nine, ten years later. But, you know, continuity, schmontamuity, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. But, you know, uh, she's kind of telling everything in a narration set to her little doodles and drawings in, in her notebook, you know, keeping track of everything, kind of giving you the play-by-play of where Mike is now that it's years later. And, you know, Mike is now getting ready to get out of uh, the Morningside uh, Psychiatric Clinic. And I never knew Morningside was such a big town that it had the biggest, you know, mortuary and mausoleum in, in the country and a psychiatric clinic. It's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street having the Dream Institute. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this, this girl playing Liz, I mean, not to take away from her, pretty decent actress. But Dad Burnett, man, she's got hair that is comparable to a young Macaulay Culkin, man. It's just, it's always just out somehow. It's something, something's wrong with it all the time. It's just, there's the cowlicks <laughs> over here or the cowlicks over here. And from shot to shot, it just moves. Yeah, it, it should have its own screen credit, to be quite honest. <laughs> one moment, uh, it looks like a mullet. One, it looks like it's feathered. And the next moment, yeah. it's combed. Next moment, it's, it's, it's it like. It jumps all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, her, her hair is a character in and of itself. But yeah, poor Liz. Uh, she 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 got kind of a raw deal. Uh, she did not come yeah. back for part three or four or five. Well, she kind of came back in part three for a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, yeah, a little bit of a head sequence, but you know. Right. Yeah, it, it was just kind of like we're like, listen, we don't need her for part three. We're just gonna yeah yeah get out yeah. Get yeah. Here. <laughs> You know, she is kind of leading uh, Mike along in his uh, quest, as we'll find out, you know, as we uh, break this movie down bit by bit. Her and Mike have a psychi uh, psychic link. You know, they talk to each other. They don't know quite where each other is, but they're getting closer and getting closer and closer uh, throughout the movie. But Mike, what does he do? First thing out of the hospital, he goes right to Morningside uh, Cemetery and starts digging up graves. And, of course, you know, Reggie being the good friend that he is knows that's where he's at. And yeah. I love the exchange, you know, when he's just like, you know, hey, this is the third one I've dug up. There ain't nobody buried in this cemetery. And, and Reg just kind of nods and is just like, uh, so uh, how you been, Mike? You know, just, like, <laughs> just blowing it off. And I always wondered, like, you know, maybe you got some insight to this. Why Reggie didn't believe in the tall man or why Reggie didn't believe that, you know, in the end, everything that happened in the first movie, you know, and I kind of. Yeah. Related. It, made, it ended up making sense to me more, as the movies went on. I kind of believe that Phantasm is set in different, you know, alternative timelines and dimensions as they kind of talked about, like, the membrane theory and, and or the layered theory and, like, Phantasm Ravager, for instance. And I just yeah. kind of figured that, that, that the Reggie from part one and the Reggie from part two maybe just weren't the same Reggie. I mean, I'm not sure what you think about that. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it's best explained in the third one. When Michael is told, don't believe everything you see. So I think the beauty of Phantasm is it, it's almost like Nightmare on M Street, where it can be a dream sequence that can happen in reality, but only you can see it. You know, so in, in Michael's eyes, this is all really happening. But I think everybody around him, I mean, obviously, people have died in, in you know, around that area for all this time. But, yeah, like you said. Reggie doesn't really necessarily believe him. I mean, he's been put away, locked up in an institution because 
of this ranting and ravings about this tall man and stuff. So Reggie's like, ooh, he's just, you know, he's lost his, his marbles. And everything that's been going on is just kind of normal life, or you would think. So what if everybody being killed just seemed like the normal process of what we live in every day, right? People are getting mm. knocked off. People, oh, they had a heart attack, all this stuff. So that's kind of normal stuff. But if somebody has insight to something really happening, you know, so I kind of take it like that. These things are happening, but only the people that are, let's, let's use this word, only the people that are woke <laughs> know what's going on, right? Right, right. So, I, I follow, I follow. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Reggie says it at one point, you know, in uh, in this one, you know, I think it was Reggie, in a voice over, the, over either by Reggie or it was by Mike, when he says, you know, small towns are like people. Some die a natural death and right. or, or some are murdered, you right. know, and I think that's just kind of where this this is at, you know, it's like, were all these people killed by the tall man? You know, were they murdered or did they just die a natural death? What's the ultimate evil is to be slowly killing people and they don't even know it, you know? So uh, that that's just, to me, ties in again why the tall man is such... T- the tall man is the Thanos of the horror world, I think. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is the Thanos. He, he, holds the, he holds the gauntlet, that's for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, that's what I love about this is because anybody at any time you know, can go along their life and feel that everything is just fine and normal. And only a few people are going to be the ones that pick up on, you know, say your sixth sense or something like that, that allows you to see what's really going on. And Reggie doesn't really pick up until what's, what's really going mm-hmm. on until he dr- he's driving back. You know, he's bringing Mike home. He's like, let's go home. You know, they see somebody coming with a flashlight and he's like, hey, if they keep, if they see you here, they're going to throw you and lock, lock you away and, you know, never right. get you out again. So let's go home and we'll talk about it there. And, of course, he gets a little bit of a, a, a message from the tall man psychically. He's like, welcome home, boy. And then yeah. Reggie's house blows up in front of him. And, you know, it's really only then, you know, that, you know, the next day when they're having the, the funeral for Reggie's you know family that he he's like you knew he's like you knew before it even happened you know and he's willing to at this point to buy into mike's story right and you know and what a sad way to have to start it out for for reggie in this one it's like hey your wife your kids your your aunt martha everybody you know everybody's gone yeah i do love the next sequence the next sequence always made me laugh as a kid uh, I, I love it even more as an adult, but when they break into the hardware store and they just start, they start, you know, just stocking up on supplies. I call, you know, yeah, I call them the montage. Gotta have a montage. Absolutely. You know, and they start building, uh, I was remarking to that to my wife. I'm like, you know, I love when they're building the the infamous four-barreled shotgun that we would not see in action except for <laughs> one time, you know, <laughs> just one time at the end of the end of the movie. But, you know, they promised. They promised forever, but at least at the end they delivered. You know, the the four-barrel shotgun and the homemade propane tank flamethrower. And just, I love that sequence. This just shows the the resourcefulness of their characters. Well, this is straight up, again, this is, this is, uh, I kind of tie this into the Dawn of the Dead scene where they're going through and getting stuff in the mall and, you know, getting their, their stuff together, and then you tie that into again Sam Raimi. You got, you know, Ash out in the shop building, you know, sawing off his shotgun, all this stuff. So it all ties into 
these things that we've seen in other movies that lead up, even take your Wes Craven's booby trap scenes, right? This kind of yeah. fits in all that format. And again, the scene where if you, if you watch it again, there's a shot that's from inside the shopping cart where they're throwing stuff in there. And I'm like, that dead is a straight up Sam Raimi shot, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I can see where they were going with this and, and we've seen this in a bunch of movies since then. So again, I still say uh, all roads lead back to phantasm. As well, as well, well, they should. But my favorite part of, of that sequence is that even though they, they're stealing, and ter- not so much stealing as they're acquiring all this stuff and breaking in, it shows you what kind of people they are. They still yeah. pay for it before they leave. Pay they for open it. up the cash register, throw a couple crisp $100 bills in there, and they pay for it. I, yeah. I think I never understood that. I was just like, as a kid, I was just like, why didn't they just keep going and save their money? But no, that's not what they're about. They're they're just there to, to fight the tall man. But I love the fact that they uh, they pay for it. And that's probably that whole sequence is my favorite scene of the movie. There's a whole lot of scenes I'll be like, oh, that's the best scene, or this is the best scene. But no, that one is just... It's a, yeah, it's fantastic. And not, probably the fact of money doesn't really mean anything at this point, right? I mean, yeah, no, it doesn't. You know, They're so, on a mission where they know they're probably going to die. So what does money yeah. matter? Well, I'm saying just in general, if you looked at all the, the, the area that they were at, there was nobody alive, all the houses were boarded up. Money doesn't get you anything in these places. Yeah, it doesn't get you very far. Money is kind of, it's kind of like in a post-apocalyptic almost kind of right. world or society. What what does right. money mean? You know, they were not, not they were not a- able to pull up to a gas station and fill up the the Cuda with with you know with gas. I mean, they'd have to like find cars and stuff that were you know abandoned and get it from there because you know the world just wasn't functioning at this point, especially in that area. Oh no. Now I gotta ask. This is uh, this is uh, d- doesn't matter if this ruins something for the rest of the the the, sh- the show and the continuity of things. But do, what is your favorite sequence of the film? Your favorite scene? Uh, I'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> okay. All right. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I, I think may I say probably know what you're. I probably have to go. Oh no, no! I forget, forget that one. This one's my favorite part. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably contradict myself, and in, in somewhere down the line, I'll probably be like, "No, I'll take it back. This right. is my favorite scene." Yeah. Uh, well, then what do we get from here? Uh, we got well. We do find out earlier on uh, before this that Liz's grandfather was ill and was going to die soon. Well, yeah. by now, Liz's grandfather has passed away. The uh, you know the, she's at the funeral with her sister Jerry and the grandmother and <laughs> as much as I love Stacy Travis I mean she's a great actress and easy on the eyes and whatnot but her character Jerry man fuck 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 Jerry <laughs> what, what a raging bitch I mean come on like oh you know you deal with the uh, grandmother I got to be back yeah. at, you know home I got to be back minutes. at the station it's twenty miles from here yeah. <laughs> Like grandma's a tough cookie. She'll be just fine. Just like, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to ask, like, what is it with all these towns having these huge mortuaries? I mean, God bless them for having them, you know, but uh, the mortuaries that are just like go on for miles and miles right. and miles. They're as big as the town themselves. The uh, population but- of 803 in the mausoleums, you know humongous so you know uh yeah i don't i don't get it but you know we're again you know not meant to get it i think it's i think it's old estate right i mean so these these places were built 
you know, several hundred years ago. So it, it was probably just, you know, at the time, that's what you did. I mean, I, I get, I'm just assuming historical kind of stuff, you know, yeah, I guess but that yeah. makes, would make sense. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking that, you know, these, it, you're not, and you got to realize too, again, what we're talking about with this horror movie, we'll, you know, when Costco really started all this, he just wanted to write about, let's put together a concoction of things that are scary or creepy. Well, everybody's scared of funeral homes, right? So you're not going to show a 1988 model of a funeral home for this movie. You've got to show a big, you know, gothic, you know, creepy looking place. So, you know, that's what you go with. Yeah, exactly. But hey, it, it makes sense. It makes sense for the world of phantasm. Yeah. Well, it's very, very reminiscent of the one that's in the original movie, too, so. Yes, very much so. And this whole sequence with Liz kind of walking uh, down the, the corridor of the the mausoleum and running into the tall man, I mean, it's almost shot for shot, just like when uh, yep. when Jody with Bill Thornberry's character in the, in the original, when, you know, the funeral's about to begin, sir. Yeah. You know, and she, and, <laughs> and she pokes him through the finger and he just, and he, he drinks that little yellow mustardy <laughs> drop of blood. Uh, just great. Angus yeah. was the man. I, I consider myself uh, very lucky to have met him several times at the uh, the convention circuit and whatnot. Yeah. He was always such a gentleman. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, th- that's that's always been the question, right? Is if you did reboot this, whatever, how do you replace Angus? Because he is the tall man. And um uh, very, very nice guy. I mean, I, I got to meet him a few times, too, and just always enjoyed hearing his stories. And, and you know, he totally embraced being the tall man. And, you know, there's there's nothing more discouraging than seeing meeting some of these folks. And they're just kind of, yeah, 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 that kind of thing. He he absolutely loved being the tall man. And I just think that's great. And it, it delivers that that scene is exactly what I was talking about with Evil Dead 2 of it being a retelling. Right. Because there's so many shots in this movie that are identical to stuff that's happened in the first movie. So, you know, you're you're trying to retell the glory days of the first Phantasm movie to these this new generation of VHS watchers, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Like like you said, though, like when the first one came out, you saw it once. And if you missed yeah. it during this theatrical run, you were, were shit out of luck. You know, you but didn't the, see copies of Phantasm, the original Phantasm, around everywhere. They were kind of scarce. But matter of no, fact, no. the only one I really ever saw was on Betamax. So, <laughs> you know, they were a little harder to find. But when the second one came out, you know, they had stacks of them because, you know, it was a brand new movie of the time. So, yeah, and it was the VHS boom. And thank God for yeah. that. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. But I, I love the way the scene cuts back and forth with Liz, you know, running into the tall man and the poor grandmother uh, <laughs> when Father Myers, you know, when That's Father best, Myers, bitch. yeah, when he's like, I'm going to stop the sacrilegion. And she just, you know, skewers her dead husband with the knife and she just walks in. It's like, your timing could have been a little bit better, Father. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he's, you know, he's built up, he knows that something's going on in this town. And he's thinking that he's got the answer of how to keep the dead from coming back and being a part of this problem. So when he thinks everybody's out, he just takes this big knife out and jabs it right in his heart. And then he turns around and the, and the grandma standing there passes out. It's just oh, awesome. The poor grandmother. You know, you had to feel about her. It's like a surprise she didn't like heal over right there of a heart attack. Right. right? Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> That's great, great. I mean, then it, well, where we go? Where does it go from here? Isn't it later on? Uh, it comes back a little bit more of uh, you know Mike and um, uh, you know Reggie driving back and forth. Yeah. And you know after he's agreed to go with him on his uh, quest, and they get to the, <laughs> they get to the mortuary. I might have gone somewhat out of sequence here. I can't remember if the the, the funeral scene was before or after this. But when Mike and Reggie end up at the the that taking the country roads and getting to that one abandoned town, and yeah. they, I love that opening sweeping overhead shot of mm-hmm. the graveyard with all the empty graves. I can't yeah. imagine being a filmmaker myself. You know, uh, the, the logistics of trying to dig all those empty graves, or at least make it look like they were all empty. And right. we get Reggie's wonderfully glorious boogie down hat that he goes into battle with. <laughs> It's awesome. Right, right. I love the boogie down hat. But when they run into, uh, you know, Mike has the, the the vision, at least he thinks it's a vision of uh, alchemy, who will later come into play later on, who's a, a hitchhiker in the movie, uh, yeah. played by Samantha Phillips. And she's, you know, a cadaver laying naked, you know, with the Y incision on her chest. So she's a cadaver. Then turns around, she's gone. She's just magically kind of gone. So was she really ever there? But they run into uh, they run into that that apparition of um, Liz, which they think is you know I mean kind of like one of the dwarves at, at first, and you know the tall man pops out like a little like it's almost like a little Freddy Krueger kind of yep, like creature. Exactly. Yeah. Go east if you dare, boy. It's, it's <laughs> a Reggie... combination. Of, it's a combination of of demons. If you remember the movie Demons, the oh, the Italian flick. Yes. And with the part where the demon pops out of the girl's back, it's almost the same yeah. setup for the effect. But then it turns into this little kind of Freddy Krueger head puppeteering thing. I, I, I love it. I do. I love it, man. Yeah. And you know the thing is, it makes has no rhyme, no reason to it whatsoever no. but it's fucking amazing if you if you've yeah. never seen this folks again i implore you if you've never seen that like oh, stop the podcast now and, and go and watch phantasm 2 and come back to us because we're yes. spoiling the shit out of every little good thing about this but it's yeah. an amazing little sequence i mean this little effect it's all done again you know practical effects no cgi of any kind and just just amazing and i love the reggie's reaction to it he wastes no time he just fires that flamethrower <laughs> right over mike's head lays waste torches that motherfucker right uh, you know it makes as much sense as cutting off the tall man's finger in the first one and it turned into a big ratted fly i mean <laughs> you know, anything can happen in the phantasm world now again that's why i love it so much it's anything is possible <laughs> right right uh, it's yeah, horror and- disneyland <laughs> and it, it, it's all magical it's like you know i got a friend that works for disney and i always say what do you do for a living he's like i make magic and that's what yeah. don Cas- coscarelli does with this movie he just makes oh, yeah. movie magic oh uh, but then we get back to uh father myers that later that night drinking and I, I always love shots of people who have obviously never really drank or had an alcohol <laughs> issue they always like sh- they're shaking. They're pouring it into a shot glass and then drinking. Pouring another shot and drinking. Like if you're gonna drink that much, you're just yeah. gonna drink straight from the There's fucking bottle. bottle. 
<laughs> I love it. And he already knows what's going on. And he's like, yeah. oh, this it's just the wind. And then he takes the another wind. shot and he's like, damn this wind. And he charges at the door, but it's the dead grandfather that he skewered with, you know, with the uh uh <laughs> with the knife in earlier scene. And he just freaks the fuck out. And it's like, he really should have been so surprised. Right. Dude, I, and I gotta back you up just a hair too, but when they get the grandpa laying on the table and they're sewing his lips and all that stuff, wow, it looks fantastic. It looks so real. I actually rewound that scene this time when I was watching it. I was kind of looking, I'm like, just kind of, you know, scouring over the scene and like, I'll be damned if I can like uh, see the seams or see if that's like a rubber head or whatnot, because it looks yeah. pretty damn legit. It does. It, it maybe, maybe it's a prosthetic head. I don't know, but it, <laughs> it looks great. Oh yeah, it's it's freaking amazing. Uh, prior to them uh, arriving, and they're going to Paragord, uh, Oregon. I think it's, it is. Yep. I think it's still in Oregon, Paragord. Mike has a vision of the alchemy girl standing on the side of the road. Well, it wasn't really a vision. It was Reggie picking her up, and <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, alchemy. I mean, like her name. We're like, oh, I'm just Kenny yeah. for short. I'm like, her name's Alchemy. Like, yeah. you, you, uh, that'd have been the moment I would have been like, I don't care how hot you are. Er, get the fuck out. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing. It's like, who, who's going to mess around with a girl named Alchemy? That's just, that's not smart, man. <laughs> but that's, that's our Reggie. He is quite the horn dog. When it was, he would, it would become <laughs> readily known in Reggie, in Reggie lore later on in the, uh, the other sequels is that Reg will fuck anything that will hold still. Well, to quote Reggie, he says, it gets hard on the road. Right. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, but it was, what, I, I, I love the, like, you know, the introduction when they pull out, pull over on the side of the road and Reggie's pissing, Mike is fake pissing, and he does the whole, you know, it gets hard on the road, you know, and he's just like, and he tries to justify it where he's like, you know, he's like, uh, you know, with us or without us, uh, you know, w at least with us, we can protect her. That makes sense, right? And he's like, yeah, and I guess Reg in a horny sort of way, I guess it does, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, <laughs> he's just trying to justify any which way he can to fucking, to get, to get right. this girl along on the trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, then Liz gets uh, kind of suckered in to that. What well, we get, we get the the sequence where the the grandmother awakens oh. to find the uh, the dead her dead husband in laying in bed next to her. Next morning, Liz goes to find her, and grandmother's gone. Her little barrette with the pin in it is there with a little bit of tall man yellow mustardy blood. <laughs> and you know he kind of tells her you know in his psychic sort of way you know come tonight you know if you want your grandmother back yeah and she well, falls for it. poor grandma man i mean her husband died she sees the priest stabbing her dead husband and now she rolls over in the bed and there's her dead husband in the bed looking at her <laughs> and i love how he releases the one eyebrow he just kind of looks at her like yo what's up <laughs> With a little bit of coital buzz, you know, going on around here. <laughs> oh, but the, the sequence where she's going into the, where Liz goes into the cemetery and she's going up to the mausoleum. I always wondered if the fact that she goes to the one grave and it says Alex Murphy on it and it's like right there in plain sight. If that was meant, I don't know if that was meant to be a nod to RoboCop or if that was just a happy accident. That would be a weird nod, wouldn't it? I mean, how, how would you even 
tie that in, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I thought that every time. And I remember like being a kid and watching this and looking at my mom. Is that supposed to be RoboCop? And she's just, I remember her being like, yep. I don't know. Just watch the movie. The tall man killed Peter Weller. Now he's a ball. So there yep. you go. <laughs> like, yep, buried him right next to Buckaroo Banzai. Son of yep. a bitch. <laughs> he's uh, Robo Spear now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's great. Great. It's, it's, it's just a great scene. But uh, Liz, you know, when she arrives at the, the cemetery, but, she, you know, she gets confronted by Father Myers, who's there trying to uh, trying to get her to escape with him and tell what's left of the town or what's going on, even though they're really the, a couple of the only people left in the town. But this is one right. of my this is probably not my. This is not my favorite sequence, and we already gotten past that. Is one of my favorite sequences where we get the first really, our, our first version. Uh, well, not our first version, but our first showing of the sphere in this movie. Yeah. I was going to say it. It it took us a while to get to this point, right? So, you know, and I imagine if we went in a B between the first movie and this one, it, it, it's probably in the same time zone of when this happens because you're developing the story, but. You know, when you think with the sequel, you think, okay, we're we're going to hit this head on and probably see these things throughout. But the fact of it kind of comes out and, again, kind of retells the same thing that kind of happened, you know, in the other one. Except for the fact of, oh, man, you've got to love the scene where the priest goes toe-to-toe with the tall man. Yes, when he tries to, because it has my favorite line when... Yes, where the tall yeah. man is hanging the priest by his own crucifix, you know, his own rosary beads. And the best line is, is I think it's the best line in any Phantasm movie out of, out of all yeah. five. You know, when he says, when you think when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us, you come to us. And again, I, you know, it, it is, makes me realize that nobody really could play the tall man besides Angus. Right. Some roles are just so synonymous with the actor who has played them and. I just can't imagine anybody else delivering that line besides, you know, Angus. I just and can't it, picture it. It's also showing us the real power that the tall man has, too. He doesn't have to lay a hand on him, right? He makes the rosary beads go around the priest's neck and pick him up with the crucifix upside down like somebody's hand is grabbing it and pulling him up there, and he's not even touching the guy. And this is one of those things that this movie really shows, you know, I think we gathered a lot of information from the first movie with his abilities and, and kind of being able to jump through time and all this kind of stuff. But this one really delivers just the the powers that he has beyond, beyond that. Because uh, a lot of times he just walks away and these things happen. And it's like, well, again, that's why I kind of look at him like a Thanos kind of character. So he's already thought everything out that's going to happen. Nothing happens in the Phantasm series by mistake. Every no. time that you feel like you beat the tall man, he lets you think you beat the tall man. Then he throws it right back in your face. <laughs> right, right. Well, I love the exchange where, you know, uh, the priest is blessing each corridor of the mortuary or the mausoleum. And uh, and he turns around and there's a tall man and he says, you know, they have no need of your services. Right. Yeah. You know, and he's like, how do you dare you? You know, wh- who are you to question, you know, you know, the power of God? And he doesn't even say anything to him. He just twitches that one eyebrow and he just yeah. kind of looks and he's like, okay, 
I'm going to show you, and then, like, hangs him by his own rosary beads without, like you said, without having to lay a hand on him. He's like, yeah. I'm going to show you just who I am to question this. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, it takes him to a whole different level, even beyond what we saw him do in, in the first movie. So I just, that always stood out to me, because this is a different level of power here. And, uh, you know, the fact that the rosary beads, beads break and the priest gets this kind of scatter off, again, Tall man let him go. I mean, yeah. if he wanted to kill him, he could have killed him right there instantly, but he let him go. Yeah, he, so. he knew. He just, he's like, you know, uh, I've related back like to the line that Darnell has in Christine. He's like, I have to come in there and get you. I'm going to get you. Tall man knows he's going to get him. He's like, yeah. you know, like I can bide my time. I, I'm timeless. You know, I, I, I can right. I can wait. So, oh. but yeah, brilliant scene. And then the priest finds Liz who's kind of scattering around as well because of what's happened with, you know, coming to find her grandmother. And the, the priest says the thing they always say, right? What's yeah. that sound? You stay, you stay right, <laughs> stay right here. You stay you right know? here. <laughs> and and uh, sure enough, he wanders he out, out the hallway and here it comes, man, right at him. Yeah, yeah, and that spear, and it's a new kind of spear, you know. I mean, it it, it uh, wounds you before it takes you out. I love the it yeah. whips out that little uh, little circular saw blade and takes his ear off, and yeah. it's such a a great shot. His reaction to it, uh, oh yeah, I forgot the actor's name. I, I did not write his name down in my notes. That plays uh, Father Meyer, but he yeah. reacts so it is it's a butt puckery kind of moment. You know? Sure, yeah, and then of course. The sphere circles around and does what it does best and beds in his yeah. head. And this is one of the few, but it's a nitpicky moment. It's, you know, where the, and I think this was just universal uh, meddling in what Don Coscarelli does best. You know, uh, the shots alternate in between, between a wide shot and a close up. And in the close up, we get a couple spurts of blood as the blood and the brains are yeah. shooting out the other end of the sphere. But in the wide shots, he's just, pantomiming screaming but there's yeah. no blood that yeah. that's like and that's a nitpicky moment and i know like i would probably be willing to i'd be willing to bet every penny i have that that was just universal saying hey you need to tone down the blood yeah got to pull it back a little bit or we'll get x rating and we can't have that so yeah, yeah. and in the late 80s you know there was a lot of uh you know movies like friday 13th and, and the halloween's were kind of getting their balls cut off so to speak no pun intended whatsoever right. you know like just yeah. cutting out the the bloody sequences but you know i can i can forgive that it's a nitpicky moment sure sure and you know come on i mean again a retelling of the exact same scene that happens to the janitor in the first movie but not only do you get this massive pool of blood but you also get him you know relieving himself as well so uh <laughs> you know so that's that's a you know yeah he took it a little far and they probably said yeah we want you to redo the scene but probably with less urine. <laughs> yeah. And by less urine we mean none. <laughs> none. Yeah. <laughs> and then the first movie I always thought you know that, you know that was a unique angle of it of the you know because sure. let's face it it's it's a reality of the human body that when you die you relieve yeah. your 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 uh, bowels so to speak yeah. and. uh it's you know not many movies ever show that. I mean, not every movie needs to show that, you know. But uh, again, you know, just part of the uniqueness of the the lore that is Phantasm. Absolutely. But, but you know, when they get back, uh, when she when Liz is leaving, she runs into uh, you know 
fleeing the scene, she runs into Mike, thinking he's one of the lurkers in the, the graveyard. But they all reconvene back at Alchemy's, uh, which you say was her, her aunt and uncle's bed and breakfast that was all closed up. Right. And, uh, you know, they're all staying there. And I love, like like you said, the kind of the setting of the traps. You know, they, they it's yep. very Nightmare on Elm Street. They set up a shotgun to blow up the you know, the door if anybody walks in. And they set up, a, you know, hand grenades at the, the windows. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, they, they make a plan. I love it like they make, they make a plan. It's like, okay, we're just going to, you know, hold up here till morning, get a couple hours of shut-eye. And then Mike is like, hey, I'm, I'll watch over you, Liz. And then. Reg kind of puts his hand down Alchemy's leg. He's like, and now I'll watch over you. <laughs> and much to probably everybody's surprise, including Reg's, she's into it. She just takes her cl- yeah. her clothes off and starts leading them up the hall, up the stairway. And, yeah. you know, like any red-blooded American male, Reg follows her and has what I consider to be one of the <laughs> strangest sex scenes that I've ever seen. She rides him like a rodeo bull. He's just slapping him on top of the head, and you can tell he's like, "Oh, oh!" <laughs> she's like, beating the crap out of him. But she has he's got to be loving every minute. She's like, when she's like, "Oh, Reg, I love your head." It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I remember Costarelli said they had to go back and do multiple shots of that because she was slapping him so hard they would have to keep putting makeup on his head because it would be like beet red, where she was just smacking his head. Because she was she wasn't holding back, you know. She was just riding on him and slapping him. And <laughs> oh, I'm sure Reggie hated every single bit of that. Yeah, every I'm bit sure. of that. I did remember reading though uh, somewhere. I don't remember quite remember where it was, but the one day that Reggie's wife uh, had visited on set at that time was when they were filming that scene. Like that had to be awkward. That had to be just a wee bit awkward. I don't know, man. She's pretty cool, man. I mean, you, you know, uh, if you get to hang out with her any at all, I mean, she's a makeup artist and stuff. And I don't know, man. She gets, she gets it. You know, she gets it. Oh, yeah. She was probably laughing at him the whole time. Hit she's him probably, harder. She's probably like, <laughs> yeah, hit him harder. Give him one more for me. I've, I've met, I've met Gigi a couple of times. She's a, uh, she's yeah. an amazing lady. Very funny, uh, lovely ladies. Yeah. Her and Reggie are just like the cutest damn couple together. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember when I had met Reggie a couple years after we had filmed that movie together. We had uh, I had met him as a, just you know at a cinema wasteland convention in Ohio. That's a convention uh, that actually hadn't been going on for a couple of years for a couple of shows now because fucking COVID and whatnot. But to actually, just announced that they will be back in October. Though the they will be back for a show in October. But one of the very last shows they had. Uh, Reggie was there and Gigi was there and I had not met Gigi before and Reggie remembered me and he told me first thing he said he's like roll up your sleeve because on my arm I have a tattoo of the phantasm sphere accompanied yeah. by uh, a, 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 like a looks like a bust a sculpture of Angus as a tall man but Reggie had signed my arm and when oh. we had, had met and I had the signatures on and she was just like she literally like grabbed my arm, was rubbing her hand over this, and she's like, "Oh, it's real!" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it's a tattoo, man." It's just like, yeah. But anyway, sorry, off subject, off subject. I'm just geeking out. A little oh, that's bit. cool, man. That's good stuff, man. That's good but stuff. Yeah. So, in your story with Cinema Wasteland. Uh, of course, I go to Texas Frightmare every year. That's that's my vacation, and they're kind of doing the same thing. They're coming back in September. So, yeah, nice. man, it's 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 been too long. So, ready to ready to go to one. Oh, yeah, me too. We were just when everything was starting to hit in March. They do a show every April 
and every October. So everything shut down in March. So they canceled three shows and it's a show me and my wife never missed. We actually met there, uh, it would be 11 years ago. And, uh, you know, so it was just kind of like, you know, it's, it's a reunion. This is, uh, you know, it's kind of like family every time. So it it was sad to miss it, but I'm glad that they've survived the pandemic and they're coming back. So, but that being said, we'll continue on with, uh, (laughs) where we left off with Reggie and Alchemy's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> climatic or anti-climatic love scene because it gets interrupted by the hand grenade going off downstairs and this yeah. is where we have one of the funniest lines in the movie i actually stopped it and paused it because i was laughing so hard this time around when you know they go down the, the wall's been blown up you know uh and they think it's a, a cat or a dog but when in reality we probably know it was one of the dwarves but right. when, yeah. when Mike tells him, he's like, what are we doing here? I'm a 19-year-old kid. You're a bald, middle-aged ex-ice cream vendor. And he's just like, thanks, Mike. Like, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I fucking needed that. I, I just was about to get my dick wet, and you interrupted by <laughs> knocking me down a peg. Great. Now it's just officially just for show. Oh, Yeah, I mean, that's, again, the, the beauty of this story. It's the same thing, like you said, with, with Bruce Campbell. It's, it's the unlikely hero. You know, this guy's an ice cream vendor, and bar none of the other characters, this is who you're taking the trip really with. This is who you so- associate with the most is Reggie, because you want him to, to succeed. You want to see this guy take on, you know, beat the odds that, you know, there's no way he could really beat the odds. Right, right. You're really should not be. Right? He's the underdog. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know, like, for the first two movies, they really, like, modeled Mike, the Mike character, as the main character. But I always identified right. with Reggie. And Reggie was oh, the yeah. only one I was always gravitated towards. Reggie's who you take the story Without trip doubt, with. But... I mean, you know, the, the first movie, you're, 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 you're Mike, right? I mean, that's the reason this movie stuck out to me, because Michael is just a couple of years older than me. And there's nothing scarier than somebody after a kid and you have no reason why it's just happening you know he just happened to see him do something and from then on this tall man is chasing a kid and as a kid there's nothing scarier right because all horror movies is usually you know late teens to you know middle-aged people that's where all this is happening but when they're starting attacking you know kids that's a that's a different thing you know yeah usually it's always teenagers or college age kids it's not usually you know them going after a a 12 or 13 year old and you know and i was probably not much uh you know younger than that the first time i saw the original phantasm so yeah i obviously gravitated towards mike in the first movie but you know growing up and and watching the rest of them like you said you're taking this trip with reggie yeah without a doubt but as we will soon learn, though, this was just a distraction from our lovable uh, Mike and uh, Reg characters, just so the tall man could kidnap Liz. So yep. they, they take off after Liz. They're going back to the mortuary. They leave Alchemy by herself, tell her, you know, to, I think they said, just meet me, you know, half an hour up the road or something. And he's like, where if I, I'll find you. And he's like, well, if I'm able. Yep. And she's like, what's that supposed to mean if you're able? And, of course, Reggie being the macho guy he is, he just walks away without telling her. And yep. this is the saddest scene of the movie coming up, uh, in, in my opinion. <laughs> the car. Yeah. The, ruining yeah. the car. Like, okay, the Cuda. Now, we haven't mentioned anything about the Cuda. The Cuda is now a, a reoccurring character all in and, all, in and of itself in yep. this series. The Hemi Cuda, which, you know... 
only the second most uh, desirable film car, second only to Mad Max's Interceptor for me. Yeah. You know, but when they they're chasing down the tall man in the his his hearse, he's always got a hearse. There's always a hearse, and right. they crash the Cuda, and all I remember is this like kill everybody else in the movie, but not the car, <laughs> not, not this car. You know, yeah, they actually had three three cars for this movie. One was the the nice one, the other one was kind of the stunt car, and then the last one was one that was already kind of wrecked. So between the three, they they made it happen. But I feel the same way. Crap, man! Just give give me the one that's damaged. We can still make it work, you know. <laughs> yeah, I would still drive around in a crapped out, like a halfway damaged, you know, stunt Cuda as daily yeah. driver. I mean, you know, I'll take it. You that's, don't have to blow it that's up. That's my number. That's my number one car, man. If if I had to, if somebody asked me what the dream car is, that's it. It's that car. So, oh, I wanted to go back to Liz being kidnapped too, because again, I keep tying into the retelling of the first, but. That scene of her going to window to window is identical to Michael in the house going through and the tall man does the exact same thing. He just rams his hands through the glass to try to grab them. And it's almost a, you know, yeah, identical to what happens. So there's a lot of these in this movie that you can go back and say, man, that's that's almost scene for scene, the same thing. So it's again, I, I really feel like he did this. Evil Dead 2 idea of, hey, let's change the characters up, but we're going to hit all the high notes of the original movie. Oh, for and sure. And just retell it, you know. So, but yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, I, to I totally agree. Even this whole thing, I, I tell you, I'll be honest, watching it the second time when they pull up by the hearse, I expected to look over there and there's nobody driving the hearse because that's kind of <laughs> what happens in the first one, you know. There's nobody driving that thing, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like uh, that. Uh, the part with uh, Jody and Mike in the first one. Yep. Just, except for this time, the tall man's behind the wheel. And he runs yeah. that poor, beautiful Cuda off the road until it almost blows up with Reggie in it. But they managed, I love how they managed to get their chainsaw and the, the shotgun and, and the flamethrower out the trunk. Because they got to get their gear, you know, they got to get their gear yeah. first. But they got to get the knife so he can cut Reggie out because he's locked in there with the seat belts, which, let's face it, nobody wears seat belts in a Hemi Cuda. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> except, except Reggie. Reggie's except the only Reggie. one that works. Safe, safety first, you know. <laughs> and you know, you get the setup of the glass. The gas is coming out of the, the the gas tank when the car is upside down, and it's pouring down. It's going back to a tree that's on fire for some reason. I still don't know how the tree caught on fire, but hey, okay. But yeah, uh, I, I never understood that. I'm like, I, I know, like the the Cuda hit the tree on the way by, but how did? I mean, how did it catch it on fire? I mean, you know, movie logic. Sometimes you just gotta suspend that disbelief just, just a smidgen. Right. It's phantasm. Anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. The tall man set it on fire because he knew that the tank was going to leak gas. That's what he did. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, it, does that work for you? It works for me. We'll make it canon now. So, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and where's, where's it go from here? Isn't the next scene where uh, Liz is uh, unconscious in the, the crematorium with one of those <laughs> tall man mortician's assistants? Yeah. Yeah. Being pushed on the gurney. But I love, this is where we do get a true wink and nod to Evil Dead, where the uh, the uh, mortician assistant is grinding up the bones and sifting through the ashes and pouring them into a bag marked Mr. Sam Raimi. Like, I remember <laughs> catching that when I was a kid, and I was just like, 
does that mean they're probably trying to kill Sam Raimi? But uh, like I got, I, I made it would have made more sense to me if it had said Bruce Campbell, since it was right. quote unquote ashes that they were sifting into the bag. That's yeah. That's that would be even. That's too brilliant. Yeah. So it, the thing is, is Sam Raimi visited the the shoot site and actually wanted to be an extra in the movie, but they couldn't find a spot for him, so they put his name on something. So there you go. Oh, how could they not find something for him to do? That's oh, my gosh. Well, he said at that point, I mean, they had no idea that he was going to become the Sam Raimi. I mean, he had Evil Dead 1 and 2 under his belt, and that was it, you know? So, I don't know. Uh, it blows my mind, too. But he actually showed up on the set and said, hey, uh, can you just stand me in a corner or something? <laughs> you know? And well, they you didn't know, put your name on a baggie, though. <laughs> yeah, that's what they did, you know? So. I didn't. I see. I did not know that he had visited Seth. That's interesting. That 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 totally makes sense of why they had his name on the bag. Then that <laughs> makes total sense. Oh, yeah. but but oh gosh! When when Liz wakes up and sees that she's getting ready to be rolled into the 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 crematorium, and she gets off at the last second, nut shots the guy with a with a hoe. I think it's funny that she uses a hoe to hit him in the nuts. Sends him down the ramp into the damn crematorium. I'm telling you, yep. it's a puckering moment, though, when he's screaming and you just see that oh, insert man. of the hand come up hand, and yeah. slap the, the glass. Ooh, like it, it yeah. every time it just kind of makes me shiver just for a moment, like it's almost as much as when well I first done. saw it. Yeah, it's really good. And yeah. that's where, like, what really works in this movie. Is the effects, you know, sometimes sure. there's in varying degrees in part three and four, some of the effects work and some of the effects don't. But with man, when they had their universal money, they yeah. really made those effects stand the fuck out. They really, yeah. the, the sphere effects with the Rambo sphere, which we'll get into here uh -huh. in a minute. Yeah. Rambo sphere. And I think that was appropriately named. Uh, I think the cast and crew had named it the Rambo sphere and that was pretty appropriately named but we're jumping ahead and we're not quite at rambo spear moment yet <laughs> but uh you know she, she you know anyway she sends the you know him into the furnace uh you know they break into the embalming room and this is what i would call the foreshadowing moment when reggie pours hydrochloric acid into the embalming <laughs> fluid and he's like let's see him embalm somebody with this shit <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's the setups, man. I mean, you know, it, it's it's so passe now because it's been done so many times. But you, you mean, you know, you're gonna see it at some point. But you know, not only do we get to see it, but it pays off tenfold. This is where Mike discovers that the uh, the portal, the transdimensional kind of porthole thing, uh, as they call it, is behind this locked door that looks strangely has a keyhole that looks like one of the spheres with the two little uh, blades out of it. So they kind of realize that they have to capture a sphere. That that's the scary part. That's the real scary part. <laughs> like we have to like catch one of these things. And that's when Reggie tells him, "Yeah, Mike, you go ahead and you fucking catch one of these. I'm not no no." <laughs> And O spells nuh uh. Yeah. But uh, so they yeah, split I mean, up. It, it, and that really makes you start thinking, too. As, as a viewer, you're going, okay, how, how would you catch one of these, right? So I would, it's, it's, I would die. I would die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may catch one and still die, right? <laughs> right, right. You're going to catch one. You're going to catch it right in the forehead. Right in the forehead, yeah. 
well, they set the split up. They're still trying to find Liz. Reggie goes down into the uh, basement and then runs into where yeah. they call it either a graver, no, or a lurker. You know, lurker, and, and yeah. My, yeah, Mike is, you know, it's kind of cutting back and forth between Mike saving Liz from one of the flying, flying spheres and the other mortician. Which those two morticians, I, I know they weren't like brothers or nothing, but damn, if they didn't look almost damn near identical. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I love like he's he's getting ready. You know, the mortician is getting ready to hack Liz with the axe, catches the sphere in his hand, pins him to the oh. wall, pins him to the door. And oh, again, another bot puckery moment until yeah. this is where we get that laser guided flying the golden spear as yeah, it was. Man named a uh, nickname the rambo sphere because this thing is just full of tricks and gadgets it just chases mike and liz running through doors one right after another drilling through it and that's when we see it's got a laser guided system and but instead of blowing them up it blows up that poor little yeah. rat i call it ratatouille <laughs> <laughs> so yeah man let's let's talk about this right so we've got our mortician okay. guy with his hand stuck to a door with a sphere going through it, drilling into his hand, holding it up against this door. He can't get rid of it. And coming at him is the gold sphere, the Rambo sphere. This tells you how bad the Rambo sphere is because this dude is willing to hack off his own hand just to get <laughs> yeah. away from the Rambo sphere. I mean, that to me, that says it all. That puts a whole different level on, on how scared they are of this thing. And this is somebody that knows what it is. And that's somebody so, that's working. For the tall man, exactly. you know, and so he, yeah. he knows what That's he's what up I mean. against. Yeah, so when you're willing to cut your own hand off to get away from this thing, it's pretty dang awesome. But yeah, man, when it, and you said it while I go, busting through the doors, think of this. Think of Evil Dead 2 running through the cabin. He's slamming the doors and they bust open when the spirit's chasing them and it's almost identical. Oh, yeah. To I, I totally got that. That's a note I had here. I'm like Evil Dead 2 vibes coming through the doors. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Big time. But, uh, yeah, they, they finally get in this room, and like you said, it, it, it burns a hole through a door and comes in by itself, and all of a sudden, it becomes a Ronnie James Dio light show with lasers <laughs> <laughs> it's scanning the room. This thing is turned into, like, Darth Vader. It's going vroom, vroom, vroom. Yeah, and yeah. like you said, it, it senses the, the rat and just blows it up. Uh, yeah, it's just... Coscarelli, man. I mean, that's all you can say. It's Coscarelli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The man is a genius. I know, I remember I met him one time at, at a show. I've met, like I said, Reggie and Angus several times, but met Don Coscarelli once, and I was just, and I referred to him as a genius. And he's like, are you talking to the right Coscarelli? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sir, yeah. I, I, go, I, I have no doubt I'm talking to the right Coscarelli. Yeah, that's the thing about it too, man. Is he, you know, he's he's just a dude, you know, but he just he knew how to make this happen. So, I, I sent you a picture a while back, but uh, in Chicago they had uh, the whole original cast reunion, so we got to meet all of them together. And of course, they even you know did some Q and As and stuff together. But to see them all there together and and still see that this was a small group of friends working together to make a movie, it just I don't know, man. It just it may be adore the original movie even more but that's not what we're talking about <laughs> no 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 we, we have to yeah. the, the, the devote an entire show to that one just alone <laughs> anytime anytime but yeah man uh i mean 
this fear chasing and doing all that stuff. So, but what this does is this allows them to go back to that door and hey, this this fear is now embedded in this dude's hand. If we keep it locked into the flesh, then maybe it will like keep it from reacting. Right. And then right. we've got our key. And, and they're so, right. For once they're right. It's not just a setup for more hijinks. For once they're actually right. Yeah. You know, it, it'll it'll uh it it works and they managed to open up the open up the door to the transdimensional yep. portal. But not before yep. I, I gotta make one mention, I kind of skipped over when the 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 Rambo sphere gets the mortician. I love that sequence. Oh, it's almost like the sequence again, uh you mentioned it several times. It's a lot like Evil Dead 2 when Ash's hand is you know attacking him yep. and beating him up. You know, this guy is yep. flopping around the room, you know, as this thing is burrowing into his back and then traveling up his torso through his neck, and he's Man. just flopping around. And then it, when it embeds in his mouth, and it's just kind of like sitting there like, ching, 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 ching. Yeah. Can't just, go any further because it got hung on his lips. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, yeah, great, great, great sequence. That scene, man, that, that, that just blew my mind when I was, I've I've rewind that and watched it over and over because a lot of it is what you don't see. Right. I mean, it's, it's a lot of prosthetic stuff and, but the way that it's put together, the flopping around nowadays looks a little funny because you know, you're just using reverse photography on a few things, but for, for the most part, it's still such an awesome, awesome idea. And where else have you seen anything like that? I mean, it, it brings up a couple of memories of, Let's think of the uh, uh, the bedroom scene in the first Nightmare on the Street where she's getting flopped around on the ceiling. You kind of get that feel from it because he's bouncing from wall to wall with this thing flying up through his guts, going up through his torso. You don't see it, but you just you know that's what's going on. And it's yeah, just, it's mostly it's, sold with good sound effects. You know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like killer sound effects. Yeah, and the guy's reaction to stuff. It's it's <laughs> with its flaws and all, it's still incredibly well done. And again, I, I feel like that's just, it's a nitpicky kind of thing. It's just like, it's sure. very, very yeah. minor because it's like, I'm willing to overlook it. I'm willing to overlook it 110%. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm willing to show it to people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, you gotta check this out. You know, I'm all about seeing things that I've, that nobody's ever shown me before. And that's one of them, man. And that just took this movie to a whole different level again. Show me something that I haven't seen and, and I'm yours. And this, this movie just did it over and over again. Yeah, it's every Phantasm movie is like that. It's like it shows you something, yeah. and then it's like, just wait a minute because we're going to one yeah. up this. We're 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 going to yep. show you something, and then we're going to show you something even more cool. Yeah. But then, speaking of more cool than that, uh, we get the chainsaw fight between <laughs> come between on, Red you mother. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Come on, you mother. And when he pulls out his chainsaw. And the, the the graver or the lurker, I keep forgetting what they call him. It's a graver, sorry. It yeah. pulls out that chainsaw that's just got a blade three times longer. Three times, yeah, three times longer than one that Reggie's got. And the exasperated <laughs> look on Reggie's face when he's just like, yeah. he doesn't say anything, but if a look could just say, ah, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> like, fuck. Right. Now, I did read uh, that during the sequence that Reggie did all his own stunts, except for the sequence when he jumps over the cha- the running chainsaw blade that nearly eclipses uh, his manhood. Yeah. And kudos to him at the time for doing that, because 
I mean, I know it probably it was not a, a legit running chainsaw, but still, I wouldn't do that. They, they couldn't right. possibly pay me quite enough, but kudos to Reggie. But he right. ends up uh, getting uh, the, the Graver the same way that uh, the Graver almost got him by chainsawing mm-hmm. him from the, the old gonads up to his, uh, from, you know, asshole to appetite. Right. So to me, you kind of get uh, Texas Chainsaw 2 vibes here, right, with the chainsaw fight and all that stuff. So. Yeah, I wondered if that was kind of an influence here because where has chainsaws ever been before when you talk about the phantasm world? So, uh, you know, I, again, I just wonder if where he pulls some ideas from, if it wasn't things that were kind of popular at the time that you can kind of take a little from here, a little from there and make your well, own goulash. Yeah, it's just kind of making a concoction casserole, as I call it. You know, just a, yeah. a dash of this, a dash of that. What do we have in the fridge? Oh, we have a chainsaw fight there. Yeah, yeah. Because where else in even in the rest of the Phantasm, uh, you know, series did they have chainsaws? You know, nowhere. Right. But exactly. You know, I think he just had kind of taken his uh, winks and nods from other infamous part twos, and then was just sure. like, all right, what can we get away with here? Well, again, that's what I love about this time period of the movie making, because it was like everybody's on cocaine and everything's up for grabs. Let's just make (laughs) some crazy movies, you know? Yeah, just insert the craziness with lots of of cocaine. All the cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting where they all meet up and they go into the, the, the actual portal room. Yeah, and then we, we they actually open up, and Mike decides. This, yeah, he decides to show uh, Liz yeah. what the that portal can do, and he's like, "Hey, like I remember this when I was a kid," and he and his hand kind of yep. disappears. But you know, and Reggie is intent. He's like, "Let's burn this fucker to the ground right here, right now." And of course, what happens? The tall man finally shows up, backhands him, just puts oh, everybody up in like three seconds flat. Oh, man, that, that slap, man. I I had to rewind it last night. I was laughing so hard. I, I love it so much. I mean, <laughs> that backhanded, such a open-handed bitch, slap. Such a bitch slap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, it says, oh. Mike, sends Mike into, I like, I love how Mike gets sent through the, you know, gets sucked into the porthole, and then Reggie grabs a hold of him. He gets sucked in. What's he get caught? He gets saved by the tip of his boot. Right. That's the only thing that's keeping them from going in. And, you know, I mean, uh, I don't think in part three or part four they showed any of the the red planet, you know, the yeah. the tall man's planet. So this is really the only other time besides right. Phantasm V, the last one, Ravager, where they actually show the tall man's planet, if I'm right. Right. Yeah. And and that's another selling point, too. Again, we're, we're hitting the high notes of the original and throwing them back in here because Phantasm wasn't known well enough, com- considered all the other horror franchises that were out there, you know, it was like the movie everybody should have seen and it should have been more legendary than it was. So again, this is hitting those high points and trying to make part two make the first one legendary is kind of how I look at it. But yeah, the beauty of past this movie is then you find out the portals can do anything. They're not just for the home planet. This is your your way to hopscotch. This is where, you know, it's the Time Bandits map, right? Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it can take you anywhere, not just to the tall man's planet. Right. And 
Oh yeah, the, and the effects in this scene, you know, where you're going to see the miles and miles of yeah. the, all the dwarves, the the lurkers, you know, being sent to up the lo- up the line, so to speak. I'm using a transfer's one liner there, but they're being sent up the line. <laughs> but uh, you know, when that one is coming out of its little cubicle, whatever you want to call it, and is crawling towards Reggie, and it's all slimy and it's nasty, yeah. and Reggie's just screaming. You can practically hear him say, "Like motherfucker, help me." Get me the fuck <laughs> out of here, Mike. Like, quit fucking around and get me out of here. Because, like, <laughs> I, I mean, at this at this point, the t- Mike is trying to save Reg. Liz has been uh, tied up once again on the embalmer's table. And what what is happening? The tall man is getting ready to inject her with that embalming fluid that's been t- tainted with hydrochloric acid. So, you oh, know, yeah. no foreshadowing. Yeah, <laughs> and... My, my, my wife had said that this time watching it, she's like, do you think that needle's big enough? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think it is. Not for the tall man. <laughs> Bring in the extra large one. <laughs> Bring in the extra large. <laughs> oh, but I love the, uh, it, it's a totally an ash line when Mike pulls the silver spear from the, the keyhole in the wall and he's like, oh, yeah. suck on this. Absolutely. I mean, again, I mean, the same line that like Ash uses you know, against Henrietta in part two, you know, it's just suck right. on this. And of course, you know, they can show that spurt and yellow blood all you want, because as I know, one thing right. with the ratings board, as long as it's not red, you can show alien blood, green blood, yellow blood, whatever, how much you want, as long as it's not red. They're just adverse to the color red. I, silly rules, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but I love when the tall man just pulls it out his head, crumples it like it's a Budweiser can, and tosses it down like, <laughs> what next, bitch? Which what, what you got? That's all you got? You should have known it wasn't going to be, you know, that easy. But when, right. <laughs> the tall man, this is probably the, the, the second moment that I nitpick just a yeah. bit. When that oh, yeah. little, like, that I call it the from Ball. beyond tentacle comes out of his head. <laughs> Like is like from the pituitary gland or whatever it was supposed to right. be from, you know, and like when it comes Pe- out and it's got the pineal little gland. <laughs> pineal gland, that's it. Right. Yeah, it, it, I call it the from beyond moment. It, it, the the oh, effect yeah. is a little wonky. The effect is just a sure. tad bit wonky. But again, this is one of those scenes like if I was going to show anybody Phantasm too, this would be probably one of the, the three main scenes I would show them because this whole last sequence, the last five minutes is just fucking amazingly It's bonkers. insane. Yeah, it's it's just insane. I mean, and, and again, that's that's the way it should be. Yeah, and you have to overlook some of the effects. And again, it's just the times. I mean, you you had to work with what you got, and you come up with the idea of what you want it to do, and you just find a way to do it. And in retrospect, you go, yeah, you could have you know done this a little differently, whatever. But still, I mean, it, it just adds to the mystique and just the absolute craziness of what phantasm is so if we can chop off his finger it turns to a big fly if we can do all the other things we've done in these movies why can't his head look like a big rubber head with a tentacle coming out of it i mean it, <laughs> it almost still fits right yeah i think it's like i said it's a minor nitpick like i'm really grabbing for beans when i want to like nitpick things about this movie because i just yeah. love it so much i, I love it if anything, not despite its faults, if anything, for some of its faults, because it's just well, that much fun. It's it's that thing I said a while ago. You're showing me something I've never seen really happen before in a movie. I mean, you know, the right. guy with yellow blood has got a 
a lobster pincher coming out of his forehead. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, what have you ever seen that before in a movie? And when have you ever seen that afterwards? Right. Never, never. <laughs> but then we get the, what I call, I, I think it's the granddaddy scene of the mall. And I imagine this is probably what you were alluding to earlier, which was your favorite scene. I'm going to assume. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when, uh, I'll let you take this one. You can spearhead this one. What hap- What happens to the tall man next? Well, that's the scene where Reggie's going to run and grab the big needle and jabs it into the tall man and hits the switch. And he's getting pumped, good, pumped full of the good stuff. And uh, <laughs> the tall man starts melting like the Wicked Witch. <laughs> oh, it's so good. His eyeballs oh, explode. His neck Eyeballs explode. Up. You got... You, Yellow custard flying everywhere. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh God, it's, it's such a great sequence. And I do love uh, the fan. I, I'm not sure if you ever seen the Phantasm 2 work print where after this, where, you know, Reggie, Liz and Mike are escaping. Reggie is setting fire to every step of the way. He's laying waste to this place, setting it on fire with the, uh, with the yeah. uh, flamethrower, but in the work print, in some of the footage, I think it's on the Screen Factory Blu-ray that I have, where you actually see the tall man comes out of the trans-dimensional porthole, throws mm-hmm. the husk that was left of his former yep. body, and throws it back in. Yeah, I totally wish that was still part... I, I consider it still canon, because eh, just because it was a deleted scene doesn't mean shit. Uh, I, I, I consider that to be one of the best cut scenes from a movie ever. Like, I thought Isn't that was that in part, Didn't they throw it back in part three, though? They either did in part three, or it might have been um, one of those like missing footages, footage pieces from in part four. I'm not sure if it was part three or part four. I, I can't I remember. Think, now. I think it's part. I think it's part three. It's almost at the beginning of it. So they because they kind of do that same thing where it kind of runs on. But yeah, the tall man no, steps out right. of the portal and and takes the body and throws it to duck. Just dispose of it. Throw it back on the red planet, I guess. And again. The tall man knows what you're going to do before you even do it. He controls everything. And again, it just shows you just how incredibly awesome the tall man is. There's not a horror guy that could defeat the tall man. There's just not. Because all he I has agree. to do is go back in time and do it again. I mean, that's all he's got to do. I always said it would have been a great, you know, they always done a, you know, a Freddy versus Jason and alien versus predator. I've always wanted to see, and maybe this is just me. I've always wanted to see a tall man versus pinhead from Hellraiser. Like sure. that would be, yeah. that would be my jam. Oh, for sure. They're, they're kind of, yeah, I can see that the, that's, that kind of puts them in the same category, different set of powers because of where they're pulling their powers from. But yeah, that's, that's a good matchup, man. Yeah, I mean, maybe it could happen in a in a comic book sort of world. It could never happen in the in the movie world now, but because let's It'd face it, be a whole it, bunch of eyeball raise or eyebrow raises and just looks to make things happen, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Both sides. <laughs> right, right. Whole lot of chains flying through the air, silver balls yep. everywhere, chains and be. It'd be like an S and M show. It'd be lots of chains and balls. <laughs> Trent Reznor playing in the background. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Oh, but we're almost at the end of our movie. We don't have much left, uh, you know, here. Uh, Alchemy has showed up, you know, but we've kind of forgotten about her, but she is, uh, we've been intercutted back and forth with the action that we've been talking about. Uh, right. Alchemy had, car broke down inside the road and she had found the tall man's hearse. 
and hot wired it. But she shows up here at the end as they're leaving, <laughs> leaving the building and just is like, hey, you know, get in. And again, Cascarelli magic, right? Here's here's a random girl that can get into a, a hearse and know how to hotwire it. I mean, I just, I love it. <laughs> right. Oh, God. He's, he's just like a big kid, you know, and God bless him for it too, you know? Yeah. But when they're driving away, I, I think right before the end here, when they're, you know, Mike and Liz are in the back seat, Reggie's riding shotgun with Alchemy driving. <laughs> and Reggie's like, hey, you want to check that you know, coffin that's in the back there? And of course, Mike checks it. There's nothing there. And I love it. He's like, it's empty. He's like, good. That's the way I like him. <laughs> you know, they've seen enough, <laughs> enough fucking coffins in their life at the, up until this point. An empty coffin is a good thing. But this is where we get their little switcheroo at the end. And yeah. Alchemy turns out to be the tall man. She pulls off yeah, a man. big chunk of her scalp and exposes her, the side of her brain. And she lets out an evil laugh, and then you know the car kind of skids to the side of the road. And what happens? Reggie pops up after hearing him scream. Mike and Liz are you know like just locked in, in the back, back. Yeah. trapped in the back. Reggie pops up, scratched all the hell. And this is the part that I was alluding to way back at the beginning of the show. The part that pissed me off until part three started. Because I thought they killed Reggie, and I thought it was sac- yeah. sacrilege. I'm like, I can't stand, I can't abide by that. So this movie, granted, when it came out, you know, I was 11, 12 ish years old when I saw it. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I was a little pissed off they killed my man Reg. Sure. At least that's what I thought. But you know, got to learn that in Phantasm world, yeah. nothing is ever as it seems, and he would return in three, four, and five. But you know, Absolutely. Reggie's left on the side of the road, and we get the same kind of ending. It, again, it was like uh, the best of hits, like you said, for the original Phantasm. Like, this is all the dream. Right. No, it's not. And then no, Mike it's not. Gets, and they just get dragged Hold out. Through the window. Yep. Yep. And it's so over. So you kind of get the same ending as the original. Like like I said, it's it's the whole retelling idea. And it just leaves you wanting more, man. I mean, that's, that's the brilliance of it. And we would get so much more. Now, I'm not sure where... where uh, your allegiance lies with uh, all five. I, I have varying degrees of love for all five, and I was asked today to give my ranking of what I what I where I rank all five of them. And um, yeah. I'm not sure if you're prepared uh, uh, to rank all five, but I I am. I kind of sprung this on you, so if you're not ready, I understand. But I like this. What I said uh, when we were talking beforehand were. I had mixed feelings on this one, you know, rewatching yep. it because Phantasm two for the longest time was my favorite. Sure. But I think just with this most recent rewatching, it has fallen down just a hair and I'm talking just a hair to where my favorite is part one. My yep. second favorite is part two, then Ravager, then part four and part three it being my least favorite. Huh. And and that's only being said like and I don't dislike part three I don't dislike part four or anything, but granted by process of elimination you know one of them has to be your least favorite, and I think yeah. the the overall humor level of part three with the little the little kid that gets introduced I just it felt like just a slight bit of a misstep but I still love the movie I love all five phantasms it's hey, my favorite horror movie gonna, franchise where else are you going to see a frisbee with razor blades in it though man <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I mean they kind of went the whole home alone kind of thing with that you know with the kid but I don't know man well I'll be honest with you 
I would have to really think about it a little bit, but I almost like them the way they sit as far as the order. I, I'm really not a fan of Ravager. Um, I don't know if it just, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I was happy with four being the last one because it really tied back into the first one. You know, I like that, that cycle, right? It, it, it's almost like listening to The Wall by Pink Floyd. If you listen to the very beginning of it, this, somebody says, we begin. It's in the background. And at the very end of the album, it says, so this is where. And it cuts off and goes back to the beginning. We begin. So it just makes a cycle. And that's the way I looked at one, two, three, and four. Because it's an ongoing cycle that always feeds back into the original idea of why the tall man is chasing Michael in the first place. And five is a fan film as far as I'm concerned, which is exactly what it is. And I have no problem oh, with yeah. it. I just I get the least out of it with that one because I don't know I I think it, it's I don't know it just doesn't do it for me I I can't really put a finger that's on fair. it but but that's, uh, that's totally fair I would almost put four in front of three but I'd kind of have to watch them both again There's a lot of people that don't like number four at all but I really like the use of the footage from the first movie and I know oh, it was kind of out of necessity. But I love that seeing these other shots and making a story built around that to feed back to why, you know, Jebediah Morningside became the tall man. And the reason that he is after Michael is because he sees him years later in a different dimension and, and sees him disappear. And it's just like the Pink Floyd thing. He says, and so it begins. Right. So he, he's purposefully going back to chase Michael to stop this being revealed. It's just brilliant, man. It's absolutely brilliant. It did bookend the the series well, and I do agree that Phantasm Five feels more like a a fan, uh, Phantasm fan film than uh, yeah. than an actual legit Phantasm film. But considering it was eighteen, what seventeen, eighteen years in yep. the making, it was almost a miracle that we got it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and again, I'm not I'm not saying it absolutely stinks. It's just out of out of these, it's just not my favorite. It just doesn't do it for me. But it, to me, it's like. You know, I'm a I'm a big I'm a diehard Kiss fan, right? And mm-hmm. there's almost a point where I wish, hey, back in about 2003 or 2004, y'all should have just stopped. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though right. I still love I still love to see you guys up and doing it at 70 years old, but at the same time, you got to know when to stop, right? When Paul Stanley couldn't sing anymore, I'm sorry, it's over, and they kept going. And it's kind of like that with this one. It's like, you know, I, I don't know that it's a nice send off for all the fans that wanted something else. I would have rather have seen an idea for, I dare say it, almost a reboot, right? Mm-hmm. How, you know, you can take this idea and make it for a new generation and make it work. We're always going to have these this original series, but I'd almost like to see what you could do with it with what you have now. And I just don't think Ravager was able to deliver on that. But I still, you know. Like I said, I still enjoy a lot of it, and I think it's a nice companion piece to the other ones. But I almost this, I don't really include it in the set, you know. Does right, that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It totally makes sense. And again, like if, if we if we all liked the if we all agreed and all liked the same same shit, it'd be a boring world anyway, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I totally yeah. I totally agree with you. Like and, and like I said, you know. There's no Phantasm movie that I don't like, but despite, like I said, by process elimination, you got to be able to put them in some sort of order. It's kind of like the Friday the 13th films, you know, the same thing. It's like, right. I, I love them yeah. all, but by through process elimination, one of them's got to be the worst, and New Blood, I'm looking at you. <laughs> oh, no. 
you gotta be kidding me that, that's my almost my favorite one. Oh, is <laughs> I it just, really <laughs> I, I, I don't know why i think because when i went and seen it i went to the theater and had no expectations whatsoever me and my best friend went and we were cackling the whole time and i think that's what it was and i and i think that's why i give part three of phantasm a pass too because you're exactly right it, it was getting to the the hokey fun part of it and that became to it, it almost seems like that overrid the idea of it being a horror movie anymore it was just a continuation it's kind of like army of darkness right Right, right. You know, Ar Ar Army of Darkness is—it's so out there and and beyond the rest of the Evil Dead series. It 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 was more of a Gulliver's Travel kind of thing going on. Well, and like you you said it best earlier. Phantasm Three kind of played into like the Home Alone territory a little sure, bit. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, they wanted. Hey, what if we took a kid and did a Home Alone thing in the Phantasm world? Well, there you go. That's what you did. Right. So, you know, and that's. You know, again, it works for some people. Some people don't. I have a problem with bad movies that are intentionally trying to be bad. So it's hard for me to watch a movie that I already know they're trying to make a bad movie, right? Right. Your Sharknadoes and all that stuff. I just, I can't do it, you know? But I'll watch a movie that somebody was intending and they put their heart and soul into it and it just ended up being a stinker. I'm all for it because they put work into it. Yeah, they put heart and soul into it. They right. weren't they weren't intentionally trying to make a bad movie. They just didn't know right. how to make a good movie. Exactly, and right. I have to give them credit for that. And and I'm, I'm that's that's worth my time. Gotcha. Anyways, gotcha. I don't know how we got into all that, but that's I mean, okay. Phantasm we is phantasm. I love it all. Uh, I, to me, Evil Dead trilogy and and Phantasm series are my favorite series of horror, hands down. I'd rather watch those. I think they're more interesting than, and I dare say it, it's going to make people mad, but, you know, a dude in a hockey mask chopping up people. I mean, we've been chopping up people with a mask for years now. It's just different yeah. variations, and this is so different. Evil Dead, too, man. Evil Dead is different than anything else that's ever been put out there to this day. We oh, get yeah. tons Nothing of has ever been done quite like that. I mean, I would put at least and at least probably the first three or four of them, but I would almost put Hellraiser into that same category yeah, as for unique horror. Dude, me and my wife went and seen the original you know, the movie when it came out, and I remember walking out of the theater and I said, that is an instant classic. Don't make a sequel. And they make a sequel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How many did they make? Boy, 11 of them? I don't know anymore. But you know what? I do like the second one. I do. But... I do like the second one, and, and part of me... And I'm probably going to catch hell for this myself. Part of me likes the third one a little bit. Yeah, I, past, I, I, past I, that, I'm I'm just done. Past that, I'm 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 yeah. done with Hellraiser. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, people, you do you. I mean, if you like it, that's great. But for me, it's just I don't know. Things things kind of get passe. There's never anything boring in Phantasm because the same thing is not going to really happen over and over and over and over again in these movies. This he's always Coscarelli's gonna throw you a curveball and you know you're fighting an unbeatable force. Curveball which is kind of the story. Gonna throw you a curveball? Throw you a curveball, curve absolutely. That's all we did there. Uh, well hey, that being said, you wanna go we wanna go ahead and do our final thoughts and reviews. And I'm not sure if you've uh, ever listened to how I do my shows, but we yep. usually do a, a, a final thought, a summary of it. And then rate it on a scale from one to ten, and I uh, usually let guests go first. So, Mr. Morgan, go ahead and have right at it. Well, I, I really think that this movie 
rejuvenated a, a dead property in horror that should have been more legendary than it was. Same thing kind of happened with Texas Chainsaw. You didn't get a sequel to all these years later. But the smart thing that Toby Hooper did is he realized he could not top or remake anything better than the first movie. So he made a parody of itself. And I think Coscarelli was so keen with his filmmaking and uh, observations of what else was going on that he was able to pull from different sources and bring something unique to the, the, the original story of Phantasm and just put a little twist on it, right? I mean, it's a he twist. took the original concept, it's a twist, and again, took it somewhere where it wasn't before, made it feel very familiar, throw enough stuff in there that keeps the old fans from the original involved. Oh, yeah, I remember this part, but it was different, right? That seems to be the trend. Anytime you see a reboot, reboot of a movie, they try to still hit those marks that you know are iconic, but just put a little different twist on it. And that's exactly what he was doing here. But this this franchise was, was dead. It wasn't even a franchise. I mean, it was one movie. And he tried to make up an idea for a sequel years before, but just couldn't come up with a concept of how to make it work. This is what ended up being, you know, what stuck it all together was the, the whole telekinetic, you know, uh, thing between Liz and, and Michael and carrying it from there. I just I think if you're a fan of horror in general, you have to go through these movies and appreciate what they mean to the horror world, because it really turned everything on its ear. If you ever talk to anybody that saw the original when it came out. They talk about just how radically different it was from anything else that came out. I mean, the only comparison you get is Star Wars. <laughs> it's just because of the Jawas. But right, other right. than that, it's so original, so different, tons of jump scares, things that just don't make any sense. Well, guess what? You get every bit of that in this movie. It's just done in 1988 with a little better uh, money behind it. And it's still a decent storytelling that's going on here and again now it's a full-fledged franchise that who knows one day maybe we'll get to see a series of some sort they keep talking about it possibly you know clancy brown being a good fill-in for for angus who knows that hmm. could work i haven't heard anything like that but i, I would think uh, clancy brown could he's definitely big enough and he's got the voice but yeah hmm, i don't know so there's you know there was some something he did for maybe it was the creep show series or something where he was dressed as an old guy sitting in the chair and doing this thing and it was very reminiscent of Angus. So I don't know. You know, you never know. You never know. Um Phantasm's one of those things where <laughs> no news is kind of the norm. So you know who knows if we've ever seen anything or not. But as far as rating for this one, again, if you're a horror fan and you don't have this in your collection, then there's just something wrong with you. Uh, to me, this is I, I'm going to say 9.5 because uh, I say the original is a 10. I, I literally, I could send you a screenshot. I'll send you a screenshot of my notes. 9.5 is exactly where I have it. I used <laughs> to have it exactly, exact same rating. Now, I remember before I had said, uh, you know, I had mixed feelings about it because I always gave it a 10. To me, this was always my favorite. It just came down that one half a point notch for me. 
you know, just that a couple of nitpicky things. And I really had to sit and think about it. Like where, you know, when it comes into the phantasm, where my allegiance lies, if it's part one or part two. And I finally had to make that decision that is part one. That is the granddaddy. That's the one that's a full 10 yeah. out of 10. And this one, like it says, just just that hairline, that hairline fracture, just uh, of a hair less than the original. And not well, saying this is a lesser what, film at, at all, but right, right. I think what it, it is for me is the same thing that makes it palatable for somebody that hadn't seen the original is the same thing that drops it down a notch, and it's just the the whole idea of retelling, right? right. I'd rather see it, you know, do a bunch of stuff we haven't seen before. And I know why they did it, right? Because exactly. you're living off that legend. But those are the things that hold it back from being better than the originals because you're kind of ripping off the original in some points. Yeah, Coscarelli kind of ripped off himself, so to speak, you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, I love everything about it. I mean, the one of the things that brought, brings it down to me in retrospect, a half a point, is uh, not having Michael Baldwin play Mike. Uh, you sure. know, and, and a couple of the little bit of the, the editing or the, uh, the special effects snafus. But, you know, again, I'm giving this a 9.5 and it's what, 33 years old now? It's a 33 year old <laughs> film. The fact that yeah. I can rewatch it now and it's only come down a half a point in 33 years says uh says uh leagues of about how good this movie is the music is iconic is every bit as iconic and the same you know composer and everything is the first movie the same theme the theme music is just spot on it's angus it's reggie it's don coscarelli it's the cuda it's the spheres everything about it you're you know this this is how i'll sum it up you're you're either there's two camps you're either a fan of Phantasm or you're fucking wrong. That's just all there is to it. And I don't say that about many films or many franchises, but you know that I strongly believe that. that you know, there's just two versions of that story. You're, you, you either love Phantasm or you're absolutely wrong. Well, that being said, I think we can uh, put a pin in this and uh, call it an end to the evening. I... I really want to thank you, Ricky, for, for coming on the show. Like I said, again, you were highly influential for for me to do wow. what I'm doing, you know. And when I had my, my, my health issues, which are still ongoing, but I've kind of I've got them in a stranglehold and I'm, I'm controlling them and, and, and fighting everything as best I can. But I just want I just want to thank you uh, for for being an inspiration when I really needed one. You and Gary Hill both, the, you know, are two of the main reasons awesome. why I do what I do. And Gary, Gary's an awesome soul, man. Such a cool dude. Yeah, he's a great guy. Great guy. I love Gary. Yeah. Gary, well, I love you, brother. I appreciate it, but it's 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 not deserving for me. But I I appreciate it, and just the fact that you know people were listening to to Hell Ming and all that stuff just thrills me because you know it's just like this show right here. It's just real. I mean, we're we're not putting on an act or anything. We genuinely love these movies, warts and all, and. You know, we always said that we were like car salesmen. We're trying to we're trying to sit your butt in one of these movies and make you take it home. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like used cars. We're like we're just Kurt Russell trying to sell you a fucking oh, car. Oh man, Marshall Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's oh, the goods. It's the goods. Love that movie. Well, that being hey, said, we'll call dude. it an end for the evening. But I, again, thank you so much for taking a couple hours out of your time and doing the show. It really means a lot Fantastic. to me, sir. It's an absolute honor. And and when you get ready to do uh, three and four, count me in. 
Will do. Well, hopefully this was as much fun for you as it was for me, because I will have you on as many times as I can talk you into doing it. Sounds good. Right on. Well, folks, I want to thank you all for listening. As usual, this has been Sequel 2 Deja Vu, and we have been reminiscing and dissecting Phantasm 2. Yes. Uh-huh.